VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I'm extremely excited because this week I'm joined by Julian Lawrence... Tony Cascarino, I know you're all thinking, expect me to say Rory K. Smith, but no, we have, albeit only for a short time, Ollie K. Coming up, we'll be uh, talking a little bit of Nigel Pearson and Ollie's excellent interview, chatting about the FIFA elections, but we need to start with the magic of the FA Cup. Ollie, I'm going to begin with you because I imagine you know the rules and the intricacies. I've tried to explain this to people from other countries and the rest of the world. Why Chelsea against Manchester City was played on Sunday. People generally have an idea. Manuel Pellegrini said ahead of time he was going to play a weekend side, and he did. And the game turned into a, a, a bit of a freak show with Chelsea winning 5-1. But can you just please walk us through this? I'm assuming you're more FA literate than Cass, who's Irish, of course, and Julian, who's very French. The, 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 the ties were due to take place Saturday, Sunday, Monday. The initial preference once the broadcasters had inevitably decided that they wanted to show Chelsea v Manchester City live. The initial preference was to have it on a Saturday evening, which I think would have made far more sense with Manchester City playing in Europe. On this, is, the, um, this is instead of, this would have been instead, just to be clear, instead of Bournemouth against Everton. Yes, I, I okay. would have assumed so, yeah. I'm told the reason why it wasn't put in that slot was because Fulham were playing on uh, on Saturday and for policing reasons, it wasn't possible to, to police the two games on the same day. Now, and this is because Fulham Stadium, Craven Cottage, is just over a mile away from yeah, Stamford yeah. Bridge. Yeah, I, I find that very surprising in, 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 in 2016. It's not as if either of those would be category a games, I don't think the Fulham home games are generally even category X games in terms of police and safety and so on. But it's, it's, th- th- there is this long-standing feeling that with games, particularly before Champions League games, particularly before European weeks, that English clubs do not have the advantage that clubs in, in other countries have, where games are brought forward, not, not just kept on a Saturday, but often brought forward to the Friday. I would agree with that criticism. I think the FA should do everything possible to, to make it um, easier for, for, for clubs to have more time in a build-up to European games. Having said that, it was, it was Sunday before a Wednesday game, albeit in, in Kiev, it's not exactly the most extreme situation I've ever seen. No, there have been more extreme situations, and they only ever seem to be in England because of your, your the, the raggedy schedule that we have here. Yeah. We'll be talking about that uh, a little bit later. What I find disappointing is that it seems to me that everybody talks about how important the FA Cup is, but some random championship game, and yeah, I know it was a derby, Fulham against Charlton, is somehow more important for these policing reasons, which, by the way, I don't know if anybody... Actually, first, let me interject. Ollie, has anybody, to your knowledge, actually gone and spoken to, like, real independent cops and security experts about why, you know, and admittedly, Fulham, I know Hammersmith and Fulham is an extremely rough, dangerous part of town, and uh, Fulham fans are very notorious for being unruly, but has anybody actually spoken and gotten, like, an independent, like, a retired cop, cop's perspective on this about whether this just, just is just garbage that they make up because they don't 
like football or and don't want to pay the overtime or or whether this is actually real why they couldn't kick off both games well not with regard to this particular game but I've spoken to, to people in the past who've suggested that the um, policing of football matches is an expensive operation it's it, you know it does put great demands on manpower especially when there are two games at once but it, you know I don't you don't you don't think you don't think, think that the BT sport and the mm-hmm. BBC might have picked up the 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 bill for for part of that, instead yeah. of showing us two thirty games on on Sunday. Well, I'm sure those games would have been uh, would have been broadcast at some point anyway. If, if, if you if you didn't want to watch them, you didn't have to watch them. But it's but it's it's yeah. I I, I would agree with the general point that that the small extra cost of of, of placing two games at once could indeed be uh, carried perhaps by the two clubs and I mean, I'm, the, the question I asked Pellegrini in the press conference last night was you know what did the club do what representations did the club make in terms of trying to get this fixture um, played on the Saturday because very often you hear managers complaining about these things and and the clubs themselves don't really take the, the, the those complaints Seriously, well, um, I, I wonder too. They just shoulders. Why didn't Mansoor just offer to cut a check to the to the to the police to to, to go and, and pay for this expensive policing, which is so difficult to do? Or indeed, did anybody think of asking Fulham and Charlton whether they wanted to move their game to say Friday night or indeed Sunday? Well, then we get then we get left with the kind of situation we had um, with the Arsenal, uh, yeah, the Arsenal Leicester game a few weeks ago, which was rearranged at quite short notice to, to accommodate another game and uh, you know f- fans in this country do like to um to, to know when games are it's not like um spain where games are sort of rearranged at the last minute you know but it's fulham and charlton they're they're, they're, they're <laughs> too right away right they're, 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 it's, yeah. not, it's not like they're coming down from darlington no, or something. i agree on to on to what pellegrini did i'm gonna get all of you in a minute i want to start with you cass do you have any kind of uh, ethical problem with what Pellegrini did. I, I I watched a bit of the press conference yesterday, and there was some guy, you know, who tried to was sort of. I didn't catch who it was. Ollie, no doubt, knows who it was. I didn't recognize the accent, but who's like, you know, do you think the FA Cup's more important? Do you think the Champions League's more important than the FA Cup? You know, do you realize how important it is to people in this country? All this stuff. Mm. Are you somehow offended? Has he devalued the FA Cup? Is uh, that even a stupid question to ask? Yeah, well, it is really. I think it it's, is. Isn't it's it? quite. It's quite obvious. His priority and. You know, they're going to Kiev in midweek and uh, he's already admitted that he's got a huge amount of injuries and he's down to 13 players. You know, but has he, do you have a problem with it? No, I don't. No, I don't have a problem that he played a, a lesser strong team and give some of the second string players and players that might be part of the future of Man City. No, I don't. I mean, obviously, the, the hiding 5-1 was uh, pretty devastating in the end, but I don't have a problem with what Pellegrini did because... Look, they've been in a really poor run of form as well, haven't they? You know, they've had back-to-back right. defeats. Okay, so no problem with it. Julian, you know? do you have a problem with it? I have. A, I think he could have put a, a stronger team, a stronger team than the one he did. Not his strongest, but a stronger team than what he did. I think he, to make his point, he went to the extreme of putting all those kids in, and I don't think he needed to do that. And Sunday to Wednesday, I know they have to go to Ukraine, but, you know, Arsenal play Saturday, Tuesday, United play Monday, Thursday. It's like, this is normal. It's not, it's not like if he has to play... On Sunday and on Monday again, you know, it's just there was three days difference. So I think to make his point, he went a bit to the extreme, and I think that was a bit childish. Well, it wouldn't have been much of a point if he just played like your generic. If he played like Wilfred Bone, or I don't even know who's fit from, no, but, from that crummy team. But I mean, he said he was going to do it, but he only had thirteen players. Yeah, but st- and he still played Kolarov and Fernando. Yeah, yeah there was a yeah. few, but there was still there was still a lot of youngsters. <laughs> Stop, that's mean. That's really really mean. Ali, <laughs> um, I'm assuming you don't have a problem with what. Uh, with what Pellegrini did? 
Well, I, I would have a problem with singling out Pellegrini because managers are doing it all the time. I mean, Jurgen Klopp did it with Liverpool mm. when, when they were probably more intense run of fixtures, but perhaps less important fixtures. Championship clubs do it. Clubs mid-table in the Premier League do it. I mean, remember Paul Lambert doing it towards the end of the season or halfway through the season at Aston Villa. I mean, it's just sad. I, I think the FA needs to think, well, maybe our scheduling isn't helping here. I, I've got... I, I don't really respect Pellegrini's team selection because you know, he, he was doing it seemingly out of defiance, out of protest, and it was inconsistent with his general approach of not giving those very good kids a chance. I mean, he, even the Capital One Cup, he's, he's generally fielded really, really strong teams, and there's a kind of mm-hmm. damned if you do, damned if you don't approach uh, to it. But I, there, there's no doubt that Pellegrini's um, decision was not just pragmatism, but but perhaps a slight petulance as well. Is there a broader issue? Because while I don't follow the championship, I know people who do. So, and I noticed, and and they've reliably told me that both Hull City, Mm. uh, for their exciting away tie with Arsenal, Hull fighting for promotion, Mm. uh, for those who like me don't follow the championship, um, and Blackburn fighting to avoid relegation, for those who like me don't follow the championship, both those guys played a bunch of scrubs. In their games. <laughs> well, Hull City did exactly that. Steve Bruce, I think, changed the whole 11, didn't he? So, well, why is nobody having a go at Brucey? Because we, we, we saw a turd of a game there as well, right? In the Arsenal. I mean, you know, Wenger obviously has got Barcelona coming, so, you know, it, it's fine. I was excited. Hey, let's, let me watch you all be on television for, for a long time, you know, and see, see what, what he's got to offer. But, but this is garbage. I mean, mm. this, this is really, really garbage. Every week, we have league football with teams who go out and try to win, even late in the season. Julian, that's one of the things that makes English football unique, right? Yeah. Is that it's, it's April, you're a mid-table, and people still go out and hammer and tongs. And all of a sudden, you have managers sending the message like, whoa, whoa, yeah, like, this is our cupkeeper, which is kind of like saying, you know, this is like our, well, you know what I mean? Why? Well, I mean, like, look, well, why do you... we keep pretending this is anything when, when, it's, when it's rubbish? I don't want to see Hull's B team. Ollie, did you, did you enjoy that game? 58,000 turned up to see two B teams. So it was like a reserve game played in front of 58,000. Maybe you should have a quota of players that you have to keep from one Premier, the, the last Premier League game before you have a cup tie, and you can't just change the whole 11. It's been yeah. answered. It's been answered. Apart from, I mean, you look at the game Reading versus West Brom. The attendance of the game is telling you where the FA Cup is. Like Blackburn, 7,000 West Ham fans went up to Ewood Park. Almost more, more West Ham fans yeah, than Ewood Park. Than yeah, the exactly. <laughs> so there, the answer is what, where the FA Cup is, is getting wrong. Is that the fans are turning their back on it in large numbers. Ollie, provide answers for me, please. You, you've you've well, heard Cass and Julian. Can you, can you just tell us how to fix it? Please, make it better, Ollie. Fans are turning their back on it because clubs are turning their back on it. And clubs mm. are turning their back on it because the, the financial advantages of finishing in fourth rather than fifth in the Premier League or finishing 17th rather than 18th in the Premier League or finishing second rather than third in the in the Championship are so enormous that it's just completely blurred everybody's priorities. It means that nobody goes into into January thinking, oh, I hope we have a really good cup. It's, it's stupid, really. The, 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 the amount of prize money, the amount of, you know, the, the financial incentives of finishing you know, ninth in the Premier League even, rather than 13th mm. in the Premier League, as opposed to... Can I, Cup. You, well, you, you get managers who have bonus structures which are geared on, on league mm. facing rather but, than on, uh, you know, and, and less, less on winning the FA Cup. Ollie, you've, sorry, you, you diagnosed the problem, mm. mm-hmm. but I want you, I asked you for you to give me a solution. 
Ah, <laughs> fix you it. Need to re- you need to look at my column in the Saturday paper, which I admit listeners aren't going to rush out to any agents, and that's because they have back issues at Saturday Times. But they, what I suggested is they need to make the fourth English place, for as long as we have uh, four English places in the Champions League, a playoff between the team finished fourth in the Premier League and the FA Cup winner, where appropriate. I mean, usually it would be Arsenal versus Arsenal these days. But, <laughs> exactly. um, but you know... I why wouldn't clubs go for that? Well, because I would I, I would suggest you that part of the problem is that it's actually, you know, in addition to big clubs uh, doing it, it's also clubs like Hull and, and, and Blackburn and stuff like that who go and play their scrubs. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're not really going to be interested in playing the fourth place side unless you give them like £10 million in prize money for a place in the Champions League because they know it's kind of fanciful. Well, if that's the case, then, then they're not going to bother playing against them in the FA Cup anyway. Yeah. So you, you, I you have an alternative solution, yet. but we'll talk about it when you're not here because that way you, cause you won't be here to tell me that, that, that it's rubbish. <laughs> so we're going to say goodbye to Ollie, and then through the magic of podcasting and audio, we're going to pretend he comes back so he can tell us about meeting Nigel Pearson. So Ollie has left us to go for his massage, no, not his prostate massage, Julian. You're so childish. Uh, but he'll be back to talk to Nigel Pearson. So we, we talked about the FA Cup. Let me touch briefly upon Chelsea. Does anybody have anything to say about Chelsea other than the fact that maybe Eden Hazard has turned the corner a little bit? Or it's impossible to tell because he's playing against, I think, like Damien Chalice's uglier, crappier twin brother. No, I don't think you there's can take you too can much. Learn. No, there's not. I don't think you can take too much of Sunday game no. against City. I, I, I thought Hazard looked really sharp physically, fit, which I haven't seen. And I know the opposition, you could argue, is not the level that you can judge him on. Although the opposition player. should be as fit as the first uh, team, right? I thought he looked really fit. He looked right. like he'd got the bit between his teeth. He wanted to prove a bit of a point. And it's a great opportunity for him to now have a very good second part of the season. But it was fit on Tuesday against PSG in yeah. Paris. I thought he was, was good club. in the first half. I yeah. thought he was no. good. I'm sorry. No, was I thought he was good. I didn't say he was great. I thought he was good. I thought it was no problem at Jürgen all. says no. No, well, I don't care. No. I like watched him. the game. I did an article on the game. And Julian, is he like play him. what he did last year? No. Is he better? I thought first half with Chelsea and him in the team, he always looked liable to do something. Did no, he play Julian great? disagrees. No. So, but Sorry, Julian, I, know, I just think that a player like him should do far more than than. Yeah, he's capable. And maybe he will twenty minutes now, in the first half. At the end of the season. And I'm, I'm not just. I think he was as it was as fair on Tuesday than he was on Sunday. It was just mm. Sunday was far much easier for him. To do better, to play better, to look better, yeah, to right. look fitter. Okay, en- enough, just... enough, en- enough of this game. Come on. <laughs> I, I, a suggestion. Does anybody have any concrete suggestions for the FA Cup? Because, of course, last week there was also talk. It was in the papers, Rory Smith mm. and others wrote about it, about how you know the Premier League and the, the FA are looking at oh, you know, scrapping replays and yep. maybe moving the FA Cup to, to midweek. Personally, I'm not in favor of moving it to midweek. If the alternative is moving it to midweek, I have other solutions, as you know, which I've talked about before. Better solutions, I think. But um, if we move it to midweek, it's just going to become a nuisance, isn't it? So anybody have any any ideas apart from the broadcasters, the police, and the FA pulling their finger out? And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how you can actually rearrange fixtures in, like, other countries without people freaking out. But here it's like it's written in stone that unless you got six months advance notice. And or, of course they have Or when it's Arsenal Leicester, then suddenly it's different. Yeah, well, there's slightly different, different rules yeah, applied to Arsenal as we know. But yes, many are called, scrub, few are chosen. Scrub the replays. I think that's a necessity for me. Make the lower lower league team always play at home against you know a better team. 
to, to oh, but sure they lose out on the big pay. No, no I, replay. I, I, replay is, is an issue. Do the penalties, mm. and then midweek. What is that going to change? Clubs will still prioritize the league anyway. Mm. So if you play a league on Saturday, FA Cup on Wednesday, league on Saturday, they're going to play a weaker team on the on the Wednesday in the FA Cup because they want the best team for the two Premier League games. So that's not an answer either. See, the most exciting probably FA Cup match so far this year was when Exeter played at home to Liverpool. Obviously, the history of before and how the club financially, but the game itself, the hype around that game of Exeter playing Liverpool, and I agree with Julian that the smaller clubs having to play at home and, and the excitement like Shrewsbury's got tonight with Manchester United, there's a lot to be said for that. One thing was clear, that, and we talked about earlier, that fans in large numbers have turned away from this competition for whatever reason. Everyone scratching their head trying to find a solution is telling you how many problems the FA Cup has got at the moment. You know, Palace against Spurs was played on Sunday. The game wasn't on television. And I'm thinking to myself, why not? I appreciate you have two other games, but why not give people some level of choice? It's not going to cost you that much more money to put it on, right? There's there, there's a ton of channels on our television. You know, there's cameras there anyway. There's even a commentator, because when you watch matches, they highlights and the guy pretends like he's commentating, because he commentates to no one during the game, and then they cut it together. There's got to be a better way to generate excitement and to keep these storylines going and, and you're right I mean you know when it kind of gets dropped in there it, it does you no good the other issue with the replays is we get this weird situation where in the league table it's not as bad as it was in years past but you know you'd get one team that had like four games in hand with like three games to go and you're mm. like what the hell is this like you know why can't like it messes it messes up the Premier League as well but I just don't like this attitude let's scrap replays because you're sending the message that the whole FA Cup is worthless and it's, it's even better if it's shorter you could keep the third round you would simply play every round up to and not including the semi-finals in January you would have some major logistical genius work out how to actually you could even keep replays because mm. you would just play weekend midweek week, yeah. wouldn't mess much with the Premier League schedule because there's normally only two Premier League rounds and you would put those into those FA Cup rounds that come later in the year because there's nothing but the FA Cup we would have time to actually go and enjoy the narratives enjoy the build-up I think you could make a lot more money off of TV rights and sponsorship because it'd be a little bit like the World Cup the whole country would be focusing on it and if you get knocked out then you get a couple of weeks off and you get your winter break and if you don't then you know, you're the toast of the town and could make the, the, the whole competition even more fan-oriented because you'd be making more commercially, which in turn suggests that, you know, you could subsidize travel if you need to. You could, you know, make sure that it's everybody plays to a full house and really make it a fan's competition. Okay, now Ollie's back with us now through the magic of audio and radio. Ollie, I was really fascinated by your by your meeting with, with Nigel Pearson. I know it's unusual that we devote a segment on this podcast to... Um, Ollie meeting an out-of-work manager, but Nigel Pearson is so colorful and the lesser story so compelling. Uh, first of all, can you just describe how did this come about and where did you meet him? It looks like you're in like the the, the wilderness, the woods. You're like you're like in a pub in the countryside. Has as he basically has he gone native and off the grid? Beyond London, if you go so even beyond the M25, there's, there's green land, there's hills. <laughs> there's, I've there's, been excuse me, excuse me. District. Sorry, can we can we please dispel this notion? I've been beyond the M25 because uh, London Colney and Watford are both <laughs> beyond the M25. I've, I've even oh, been no, to Luton. They're inside. I'm sorry. Are they? Yeah. Are they on the other side of the motorway. Anyway, no, it's yeah. inside. Okay. Okay. Well, no, but I've been to Luton Who. <laughs> Luton Who is definitely outside the M25. Yes, definitely that one. <laughs> so there. Well, I, I, I reached out to him. I, I didn't have his numbers or anything. I, I, um, 
I went through mutual friends and and tried to um, let it be known that I would like to, like to interview them and, and um, was trying to persuade him that obviously there's great interest in Leicester, there's great interest in in the job Ranieri's doing. Um. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. There's probably great interest in what Pearson did last year, whether that was building mm. wonderful foundations or whether that was in some way holding Leicester back. So mm. anyway, in the, in the end, I um, managed to uh, meet him at a, at a pub in the um, Peak District. We had a lovely pint, lovely pint each. We had a very good chat, about an hour and a half or something. And um, it was in Friday's paper. I, I thought he came out with some very, very interesting mm. stuff. Did you, mm. did you wear a Pat Murphy mask just to creep him out, just for the reaction? <laughs> I'm just going to, Ollie, what I found really intriguing was that when he spoke about how they handled the emotional pressure of last season and relegation battle, that he wasn't surprised at all with not say how well they've done, but how they've handled what's been in front of them, you know, this season, that that, that it's been brilliant. Yeah, and he he, he has characterised that, I mean, not only as what they did last spring, but what they did last Mm. autumn when they first got promoted, what they did the whole of the previous season getting promoted it's you know he, he he looks at the middle period of last season when obviously they were really struggling i can't remember what the run was but it was mm. it was pretty dire and they were they were bottom of the premier league he, he's saying well they were playing well throughout that time and yet you know, heads didn't go down at any point he says you know, collectively i think he said they're a bloody strong group they will not let any of this any of the hype any of the sort of external forces which might unsettled teams at times they, they won't let any of that bother them and um, they did have a, a slight blip over over Christmas didn't they or Christmas and New Year where, where they, they stopped scoring and, and um, results dipped a bit and he's, saying, he's not surprised that, that they've they've come again and he won't be surprised if they bounce back from the, the uh, that sort of heartbreaking defeat at Arsenal because he says inside that dressing room it's it's extremely powerful what they've got and it, he said it was it was powerful last season and it's powerful this season but the pressure is different yeah when you're at the bottom of the table and everybody's writing you off and saying that you're going to go down except for me yeah except for you then you come out fighting and you, and you save yourself it's not the same pressure as being top of the league and everybody now saying you, yes they're going to do it they're going to win the league it's a completely different approach to games well also because it's pretty much nailed on that Leicester will qualify for the Champions League and so that is already a season beyond everybody's wildest imagination I'll let get from you Nigel Pearson's He's been lampooned so much, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think you made a reference to somebody comparing him to a, to a, to a PE teacher, sort of like 1970s nightmare. Uh, he's obviously an intense guy. He's perhaps somebody who has a few issues. That kind of came across in your copy and some of the things he said and when you quoted him. Was that your intention? Yeah, well, I mean, he, he said, I am what I am. And, and I think that is, you know, it is the case. I mean, you could say on one hand, he's a a blunt Yorkshireman and, and, and those kind of stereotypes, although he's born in Nottingham, he, he, he lives in Yorkshire. Um, but he, um, but on, on, on another level, he is complicated. And, and, I, and I put this to him, you know, but people might view you as being complicated, you know, hard to handle as, as a manager, you know, from above. And he, he's just saying, well, I know in press conferences, I'm, you know, I'm not somebody who's going to certainly 
walk off the field in a rage and then turn on the charm like like other managers do and he, he says it's false and it's shallow and um and i say well you know is there maybe a benefit to doing that and he said well it's not me it, it, maybe he'll do things slightly differently in future but he's not going to be somebody who um sort of goes on a, a media crash course like like he suggested what i felt was really sad earlier it's just that if, if it seems that he feels really unloved and that he feels that he didn't get the credit that he thinks he deserves for what the team is doing now after what he did, especially the last six months of last season. But did you did you feel it like this as well? Because, you know, I think he he, he gets some credit and I think he, he deserves so. And I think it's, it's like everywhere. I think Klopp and Liverpool are in this situation because there was Brendan before. I think if Barca's under Luis Enrique is so good now, it's because Pep was there before. Mm. You know, and I, and I think there's always that relationship between what happened before and what happens now. So did you really feel that he felt unloved? I think he's fairly unloved in, in terms of mutual fans and and um, and in terms of yeah perhaps club owners. Well, when you've when you've been when you've done a job over three and a half years at Leicester, which I think most people would say was a really good job, don't don't just look at the fact that they narrowly avoided relegation last season. He, he inherited a a bit of a shambles from Sven and did a really good job for three and a half years and got them safe in the Premier League. And, and obviously, Ranieri is taking them on. So I, I I do think he feels that that job has been Lightly underestimated. I, I, I think perhaps where he might bristle is, is with the suggestion that he was in some way holding them back, and I don't, I, I don't really think he was. I, I think if you look at the last nine games of last season, they didn't look held back then. On Friday in Zurich, it's the FIFA elections. Now I know you're all dying to talk FIFA politics and the uh, and governance issues in, uh, in 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 football. No, I'm being sarcastic, but we do have to acknowledge <laughs> that it's taking place. And I don't know. There's much point having a discussion here because otherwise we'll just get the whole like FIFA corrupt. They need to get blah blah mm. blah. And all those arguments will just annoy me and make me raise my voice. I mean, you guys must have an idea. What do you want? from FIFA like if you had to have like a basic requirement of what FIFA as an organization should be doing other than organizing the World Cup and looking after the laws of the game well obviously honesty is a big issue with what's happened with FIFA over the last few de decades the game needs to become more transparent and what is happening with the major association that FIFA is um, I have some serious issues about two guys who have been made scapegoats and I'm sure there's lots of others along the line that are still involved in FIFA if this is all what Platini and Blatter have done wrong then for me there's still a lot of people inside that organisation that might let them be the scapegoats and take everything on their heads but there's still loads of people who are involved and who knew what would have been going on in, within FIFA so I've had real concerns with, with the honesty of the, the whole Federation as a whole, I just find it very difficult to understand. I think the, the reason why you said about everyone having a go at FIFA is because we're hearing so much and have heard so much after over the last year or so of what's been going on within FIFA and as a powerhouse. It seems like a, a closed shop that no one can even get near to. And many, many people are still there would have known what was going on over the last few years. One of the, um, one of the difficulties is that you have an organisation that pulls in money and then hands out money to the individual FAs. What they say is, we're not the police. So if Togo asks us for a grant for half a million dollars, and we have the money, and they say, look, we're going to go and build a football pitch, we can't go and ensure that it goes out to a proper tender, that you know the Togo FA doesn't just get the Togo president's brother to go and install gold toilets so he can skim money off the top and whatever else. 
that most of these DOJ scandals involve stuff that has nothing to do with FIFA because, and yet it gets called a FIFA scandal. I think the central issue is, do you want an all-powerful central organization accounting down to the last penny, or do are you going to trust individual countries and individual confederations to go and make their own choices? Well, and obviously you can't, so you have to do that. The problem with having to do that is that these people get elected, right? The, the, the president of FIFA... He's not Kim Jong-un. You know, he doesn't have absolute power over these people. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have nuclear weapons. He doesn't have police powers. What they've done, and I think this is the single most interesting thing about Friday's election, and very few people have focused on it, although if you're interested in this nerdy stuff, look up a guy named Keir Radnich. Uh, He's a former editor of World Soccer. He wrote a great piece about this. In addition to electing the FIFA president, they also have to, um, the FIFA Congress will will be asked to vote to approve the FIFA reforms that were passed by the executive committee. You might have heard of this. It's, it's stuff like term limits, stuff like greater transparency, disclosing wages and all this stuff, uh, and, and restructuring FIFA so that you'd have a president who look at big picture stuff and you'd have a secretary general who'd really be kind of like a, a chief executive. But the really interesting thing is one of the requirements for maintaining FIFA status will be to go and publish independently audited accounts for every single FA. There are 209 FAs that are FIFA members, and I believe it's only 19% of them who actually do this, who actually go and publish full accounts. So you've got like 160-odd nations that don't bother doing it, and among them are some very, very big countries. Mm. The thinking is if this passes, they'll be forced to publish accounts, and then if the accounts are, are published, if I'm the editor of the Cape Verde Times, and I've got independently... And Cape Verdeans, I'm not picking on you. I'm just using you as an example. <laughs> if I've got independently published and verified accounts, I can get my nerdy blogger financial type to look at this and say, well, wait, hang on a minute. Why did we spend 50,000 pounds on toilet paper? And you can hopefully go and monitor some of this graft and make sure that stuff actually gets where it's supposed to go. That, I think, will be one of the single biggest things that hopefully hopefully will pass on Friday. And I think in some ways it's almost more important than who gets elected FIFA president. Would it make a difference who is elected? I think it will because this is the other big theme. Sheikh Salman, I mean, the two front, for, for those who don't know, there's five candidates. One is Tokyo Sekwale, who's got a funny name, ha, 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 um, if you pronounce it the other way. But um, there's even suggestions he might pull out before Friday. Another one is Jerome Champagne, who is sort of like... He's kind of like a Bernie Sanders with no charisma in this race. Another funny uh, name as well. And another funny name, yes. Uh, well, I think many of them have funny names. <laughs> There's Prince Ali, who last time got 73 votes when he challenged Blatter, but then that was when he had the support of, of UEFA. This time around, he doesn't. He's seen as a bit young, a bit inexperienced. Also, the question is, do we want a Jordanian prince running the people's game? Two frontrunners seem to be Gianni Infantino, who's the Secretary General of UEFA. He's only running because, of course, Michel Platini ran into trouble. And Sheikh Salman. Now, over Sheikh Salman, there's human rights concerns from his involvement in Bahrain. Uh, there's allegations uh, coming from a guy named Les Murray, who used to be on the FIFA Ethics Committee. He's, a, he's an Australian journalist. Gianni Infantino is the preferred candidate of the big, powerful European FAs and of the big clubs in Europe. And I think one of the central themes is going to be the balance of power between the club game, especially the club game among the super clubs, and the international game. Some people feel that a vote for Infantino would probably keep or, or might skew the balance a little bit more towards the clubs. Then again, he's also suggested expanding 
the World Cup to 40 teams, mm. which a lot of people don't like. Mm. All right, FIFA discussion over. <laughs> Let's move on. To well some... said, Gab. Thank you. <laughs> I'm enlightened. Right, time now for some quick hits. And since Ollie Kay has had to uh, leave us, um, we do things a bit differently. And on Julian's suggestion, I might actually answer some questions. I'm pretty excited about this, You're actually. You're answering your own questions. Exactly. But, but time me as well, because if you're too long, I'll shoot you with your phone. Shoot me with my phone. <laughs> Dimitri Payet shines as West Ham romped to a 5-1 win over Blackburn away in another exciting FA Cup clash. Julian, he's not going to win any Player of the Year uh, votes, but should he? Of course he should. I think he's been incredible. Uh, one of the players of the season. Yes, Vardy and, and Mares and Conte probably might be above him, but still I think he, sh- he should be right up there because he deserves it. He's been fantastic for them. What a player. Bournemouth also feel the shadow side understand understandably so and get beaten at home by Everton 2-0 Gab there's a growing disaffection with Roberto Martinez as we say in many quarters are you part of it and do you think an FA Cup run can redeem the toughest season yeah I know this is a big sticking point a lot of people I think we've gone so far as to to describe uh Martinez as a, a, a as a fraud. We have George Colkin here telling the story that he heard from uh, that you know you'd want him speaking at your funeral because he'd, be, he'd convince you that you were still alive. I don't know. I think they play good football. I think they've they've made some mistakes uh, this season, but I think they can go on a cup run and and win something. And I think it would be a bit of a redemption this year. Plus, he's won it before, hasn't he? Martin Kelly comes back after three and a half months out and scores the winner as Crystal Palace win away to Spurs. Cass, Pochettino's acting all gutted and sad, but truth be told, he's got bigger fish to fry, right? Absolutely. I think the Premier League is there for Tottenham to really challenge right to the last days of the campaign. And um, I think he'll be upset they didn't win the game because he played, obviously, some players that haven't been playing regularly. But the bigger picture is, is far more for Tottenham to challenge for the league. For the third straight year, Arsenal played Hull, and this time it finished 0-0 after a riveting 90 minutes. Uh, but we should say, joking aside, great performance from the uh, Hull keeper. Uh, Julian, it's a cliche that neither side wanted a replay, but I guess neither side wanted to give up and go home either, though. Well, I, th- I think Arsenal played to win the game. I'm not sure Hull City played to win the game. I mean, they they, they, spent they wanted their, a replay. They, yeah, well, they spent their time defending. <laughs> they played for a nil-nil. So if they didn't want a replay, I don't know why they, they were trying to achieve. Because to me, it looked very much like, let's defend, let's not concede, get a nil-nil draw and then get a replay at home. So I'm not really sure. And changing the whole team as well. I'm not so sure exactly if they were not happy with, with that kind of result that they seem to be looking for, in fairness. Gab, if I remember correctly, you're a big fan of the Watford model and their British spin-off Kathka, Watson and Dini. So... I'm not going to make you praise them again, unless you really want to. You can instead talk about how much Leeds United are missed in the top flight. Yeah, funny, funny enough, that question was originally for Ollie, who's not a fan of Watford and the Pozzo model. but um, <laughs> You are. Yes, and that's why I made the reference to the all-important British spine. Um, look, I would rather talk about Leeds United, actually. Uh, it's, it's obviously very sad what's happened. You know how you're not supposed to say, I told you so? Well, hey, Football League, I told you so. <laughs> You bring in somebody like the Leeds United owner, you take your chances, you roll the dice. He has a different view towards legality. And while he tries to make sure he doesn't get in trouble and stays on the right side, uh, other people view his actions differently. From from the pie tax onto some of the other stuff he's done, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, legitimate questions and a lot of legitimate anger. And I don't know how Leeds get out of this, but I don't know. From Ken, from, from Ridsdale to Bates to Cellino, you, you sort of feel for them a little. 
Something was evidently up this weekend with coins. A whole pocket full of change was thrown on the pitch at Stamford Bridge, and more worryingly, Chris Brunt was hit just under the eye by one of his own fans after West Brom's 3-1 defeat at Reading. Uncle Cass, tell us stories of when you felt unsafe because people were throwing things at you on the pitch. Well, I was lucky enough to play for Millwall at the Coldblow Lane, and uh, home games could be very, very, very intimidating. Um, there was... None number chops, of incidents knives. with fans coming onto the pitch. But, but Most scary was Turkey. Played in Turkey. Gobble, uh, gobble. International. Um, invaded the pitch and fans attacked me. And that was uh You were physically attacked by fans? Yeah, after the game. We were Republic of Ireland in a playoff game against Turkey. We, uh, we drew 0-0, got knocked out. And uh, I got challenged by a few fans and players, which was pretty fierce. Was Roy Keane there? He was there, but he left me on my own. <laughs> really? He didn't single-handedly oh, kick him He doesn't on. have mates. He doesn't have mates. Um, no, it's it was what... Look, there's many grounds that are intimidating. I My debut when I was, what, 19 at Gillingham, I played at Doncaster, had the usual pie thrown at you. They were the pies in the early days. The coins of today were the pies of years ago. And many, many players had pies thrown at them or bits of pies thrown at them. But intimidation, pies aren't generally going to seriously injure you the way a coin thrown at They're pretty hot. Short. Some of them could be pretty hot, Gab. I know, of course they can. Look, there's many things. At Millwall, one stage, Millwall used to have this, this paper design. It's like origami paper design. And they'd make pellets out of the, the, the this paper and throw them at players that actually hurt. And this is going back to the sort of late 80s. I can remember them doing it, and they were notorious for doing it, the fans. They could design these papers like little weapons. Incredible. I, I, I'd never thought we'd hear uh, uh, origami and <laughs> Millwall in the same <laughs> sentence, especially in the context of the 1980s. Gav, another one for you. Um, Roma battered Palermo 5-0 on Sunday night, but Francesco Totti was not on the bench, not on the pitch, but in the stands. What happened? Tell us. Yeah, so Francesco Totti came out um, and this caused a huge stir in Rome but there's lots of soul searching and he said that he didn't feel respected by the manager Luciano Spalletti. Now bear in mind, obviously Spalletti was his manager, what, seven, eight years ago when he was there in his first stint. I think it's the age-old issue of a player, especially an icon and I don't think anybody's done more for the club in the history of Roma than Francesco Totti, an icon coming to terms with his waning powers and how the club handles his exit. Now, the club had offered him and said, you know, you'll always have a job here, blah, blah, blah. He evidently wants to play to some degree. Spalletti tried to minimize it afterwards, saying, no, well, I'll reach out for him. Everything's going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. But it's pretty obvious that if Roma hadn't won that game in the emphatic way that they did, uh, people would have been up in arms. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my guests today, Julian Lawrence, Tony Cascarino, and even though we got to enjoy him only for part of the show, the very excellent Ollie Kay. Please press that subscribe button. We're going to be back next week. And remember, you can get exclusive football highlights free as part of your subscription. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial, which means it's an average of how much per week, Cass? £12, sorry, but how much is it, £12? I didn't listen, Gab. Okay. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial, which makes it an average of how much per week, Cass? £1. There you go. Wow. Only a pound. And per day, what does it work out to, Julian? I haven't listened. 15p. There you go. See, that's... that's not bad. <laughs> that says the poker player, the man, the man with, with all the probability, who knows all about probability and chance. Uh, so anyway, it's a really, really good deal. Cheaper than a Sky subscription, I believe, as well. And you can see all the goals. Anyway, search The Times online and find out more. Till next time, bye-bye.
Your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 